Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Basic Bible Babe podcast. I'm your Basic Bible Babe, Brooke Ashley. Welcome to my Basic Bible Babes and Bros. As you can see, we're taking another book break. Um, That is just because I was once again traveling this week. I was in Louisiana, so I didn't have time to do um, all the studying I needed to to get done for this podcast. This takes hours and hours and hours. So I'm a working woman. I had to get some stuff done. Here we are. I want you to know that I take this podcast so seriously. I love this podcast. I know that there's been two book breaks kind of back to back. This won't be happening frequently. It just so happens that I was traveling like the past month. I, I want you to know that I take this seriously and I take what we are doing seriously in reading the Bible and stuff. I will be back next week with John chapter 12. For now, enjoy this message that I gave to my church in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I guess I, when I listen back to this, I feel like I was not as decent of a speaker as I am now. Um, I'm still so not good, but Jeez Louise, I was powering to get through this. So um, anyways, uh, power through it with me. I'm talking about faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I'm going to talk about that with y'all. So join me today. I will see you next week. Welcome to the Basic Bible Babe podcast. I'm your Basic Bible Babe, Brooke Ashley. And I'm not a theologian, but chances are you aren't either but you don't have to be one to understand and fall in love with the Bible. So here, the goal is simple, to motivate each other to move past those things that stop us from reading the Bible and to become a people that understand and appreciate the Bible for what it is, incredible. So remember, the Word of God is for you and it's relevant to your life today. Let's dive in. So, I have been at my uh, current job position for about two and a half years, I would say. At my job, I'm kind of working alone, all by myself, all day, so for hours on end, I don't really talk to anybody. And so because of that, I started getting really bored, and um, I had to find a way to like keep my mind a little bit stimulated. And what I did was I started to fall in love with uh, true crime podcasts. So I would throw on a true crime podcast while I was working, and it would be so interesting and I just fell in love with the genre of true crime in general. And so now um, I'm a murderino as some would say or a true crime connoisseur if you will. I have heard almost every case especially like the bigger ones like John JonBenet Ramsey or OJ Simpson. Uh, What's the other girl her name is? Oh yeah Casey Anthony. That's an insane case. I love all those cases and I can debate on any of them, and I love to talk theories and conspiracies. I love talking about it for hours. So I love true crime. But one of my favorite cases to listen about, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, you can comment below if you have, is the Golden State Killer. And I'm super fascinated by this case. I'm not really fascinated because of the killer himself, or I'm not really fascinated because of the murders or the crimes themselves. I'm more fascinated with the fact that it was solved just recently, actually, in 2018, 40-something years later um, because of DNA evidence. Here's a brief overview. The Golden State Killer is a serial killer who committed at least 13 murders, more than 50 assaults, and over 100 burglaries in California from 1974 to 1986. Thank you, Wikipedia. 
He is believed to be responsible for at least three crime sprees throughout California, each of which spawned a different nickname in the press before it became evident that they were committed by the same person. So here's the thing. The FBI did have DNA evidence on this killer. Um, but the only thing is that when they put it into the system, it came back with nothing. There was nobody there that matched the DNA evidence, which means that he had never been convicted of a crime. So they had the DNA evidence that they were sitting on. Because there was nobody to connect it to or his DNA wasn't in the system, this crime went unsolved for more than 40 years and he lived his life for more than 40 years without being traced. It's insane. That is until April 24th of 2018, when authorities charged 72-year-old United States Navy veteran and former police officer Joseph James D'Angelo with eight counts of first-degree murder based upon DNA evidence that authorities put into a free genealogy and DNA database called GEDmatch. That is like one of those things like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. They put it into one of those and they were able to come back with familial DNA and connect it to him. Isn't that insane? That is so crazy to me. So just like that, DNA evidence was able to solve a case that was 44 years old. What is the definition of evidence? Evidence is that which tends to prove or disprove something, grounds for belief or proof. Now, I want to show you guys the biblical definition of what faith means. And I would like for you to open up your Bibles with me if you need to pause it and open up to um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Go ahead and open up with me. I'm going to go ahead and read now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Once again, the evidence of things unseen. The Bible has such an interesting definition of faith to me. It actually calls faith faith, um, evidence of things that we haven't even seen yet. And I really want you to grasp how special it was for the writer Paul to use that word evidence. He is actually calling faith proof. So when you are in a tough situation, when you've lost your job, when you have a struggling marriage, when you are a small church trying to beat the odds, when you have everything is going wrong, but you have faith in God, you have proof that God is going to see you through, that God's plans are going to prosper you and not harm you. And that's important because sometimes evidence is really the only thing that is going to be able to help you win the trial. So with that being said, um, I just wanna give you a couple of brief points on what faith looks like, because in order for us to make great use of our evidence, we have to um, know how to use it. So the first point, and if you wanna write this down, this is, Faith doesn't care about what other people think, okay? Faith does not care about what other people think because they know that God is going to come through for them. Um, a lot of times, faith looks kind of crazy to other people. Um, the things that we ask God for are sometimes bigger than other people can imagine, sometimes bigger than even we can imagine. We ask for impossible things. And if we were to tell somebody, you know, I'm really asking for this from God or I'm working on this with God, they might say, there's no way that that person is ever gonna come back to church. They're too far gone. Or there's no way that you're gonna build up a church of 50 people to 1,000 people. That's insane. But we know that with God, we are not asking for impossible things, that we don't have to rely on what other people think because it doesn't matter what they think. 
we serve the God of angel armies. I want to read you guys from Isaiah 54, verses 1 and 6, the message version. And if you don't have the message version, just go ahead and follow along with me. It says, Sing, barren woman who has never had a baby. Fill the air with song, you who've never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says so. And then I love this part. It says, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. And I wrote down in my Bible um, when I read that, it was so inspiring to me. I wrote, I received this declaration for my church, my family, and my home. It's time to expand. And I was so excited when I read that because I really felt like God instilled that in me. And I, w- I hope he instills it in you that it's time to expand. It's time to expand our faith, expand our tents. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says something awesome. And this is where I got my point from. It says, don't be, inf- don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget all about the humiliations of your youth and the indignities of being a widow will fade from your memory. For your maker is the bridegroom, his name, God of the angel armies. Your redeemer is the holy of Israel, known as God of the whole earth. That's so awesome. And I don't know about you. Have you ever been embarrassed because of something that fell through? Well, I completely have. I've been embarrassed many times in my life because of things that didn't work out as I planned and people knew about it. God is telling us that the amount of blessing that he has for us, it's going to cover up the embarrassments of our past. People are going to forget about that because of the amount of blessings that God has for us. Um, The Bible is literally telling us, don't be afraid of being embarrassed when you make big faith moves. Um, I like that, that word faith moves because it's like, you know, if people say you're making money moves, we're making faith moves that our currency in Christ is faith. So don't be embarrassed when you're making faith moves because we serve the God of the whole earth and he has our back. You know, like when people have insurance, it's to cover up anything that they might have. You have the best insurance in God. Um, because he always will have your back. He's going to cover you. Our God, the God of angel armies, is our great insurer. He's going to cover us, and you're not going to fall short. You're not going to be embarrassed. So that's so awesome. I don't know about you guys, but at the center, this makes me really want to expand my tents with you. Even in this time when people are saying you shouldn't even be thinking about expanding your tents, I believe that at the center, we can think about expanding our tents because we serve such a good God. Point number two, faith is action. A lot of times, when we think of faith, we kind of think of faith as like a feeling like, ooh, I believe that God is going to come through for me, or I really feel it in my heart that I'm going to get that awesome job. And we equate faith with a feeling. And in some aspects it is, but the Bible has something different to say about faith. Um, In James 2.26, it says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith cannot work without action. If you're going to have faith, if you're going to have the feeling of faith, you need to have action. In my life, when I've studied about God in the Bible, and when I've studied about God even in my own life and seeing how He moves in my own life, um, I learned something about the nature of God that's super interesting. 
And it's that God is super attracted to faith and he loves seeing his people make faith moves. A miracle from God is usually accompanied by a faith move on our part or an action. So we see examples of this in Jesus's ministry. Before Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he asked first the people to roll back the stone. And before Jesus could heal the woman with the issue of blood, she had to crawl through the crowd and find a way to touch Jesus. And what did he say? Your faith has made you whole. And finally, before Simon Peter was able to receive an abundance of fish in his boat, he had to cast his net over to the other side. All these scenarios needed two things. They needed Jesus and they needed an action. If Peter would have just thrown his net to the other side of the boat, but God wasn't there, if Jesus wasn't there, what do you think would would have happened? Probably nothing. But also, if Jesus had told Simon Peter to cast his net to the other side, and Peter was like, well, you are Jesus. You can probably do it without me even casting my net over to the other side. What would have happened? Still probably nothing. Faith requires two things. It requires Jesus and an action. If you believe that God has an awesome job for you, faith says to apply for that job. If you believe that God can heal cancer, faith says go lay hands on somebody with cancer. And if you believe that God can save, faith says go tell them the good news. My third point, and this is my final point, is that the measure of your faith will match the measure of your blessing. Once again, I'm going to say that the measure of your faith will match the measure of your blessing. And I really just want to show you guys this through two um, examples in the Bible. I'm going to read you guys two stories out of the book of 2 Kings. It says, One day the wife of a man from the guild of prophets called out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You well know what a good man he was, devoted to God, and now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect by taking my two children as slaves. And Elijah said, I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, nothing. Well, I do have a little bit of oil. Well, Elisha said, here's what you do. Go up and down the streets and borrow jugs and bowls from all your neighbors, and not just a few, all you can get. Then come home and lock the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into each container. When each is full, set it aside. She did what he said. She locked the door behind her and her sons. And as she bought the containers to her, she filled them. And when all the jugs and the bowls were full, she said to one of her sons, another jug, please. And he said, that's it. There are no more jugs. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the story to the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and make good on your debts. Live both you and your sons on what's left. And the second story is also Elisha. So Elisha came down sick. It was the sickness of which he would soon die. Jehoash, king of Israel, paid him a visit. When he saw him, he wept openly, crying, my father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel. Elisha told him, go and get a bow and some arrows. The king brought him the bow and arrows. Then he told the king, put your hand on the bow. He put his hand on the bow. Then Elijah put his hand over the hand of the king. Elisha said, now open the east window. He opened it. Then he said, shoot. And he shot. The arrow of God's salvation, exclaimed Elisha. The arrow of deliverance from Aram. You do battle against Aram until there's nothing left of it. Now pick up the other arrows. Now this is what I want you to pay attention to. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. He picked them up. Then he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. The king struck the ground 
three times and then quit. And the holy man became angry with him. He said, why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would beat Aram until he was finished. As it is, you'll defeat him three times only. So in your listening to the story, what was the two things that these stories had in common? Besides, of course, they both had Elisha there. But the two things that these stories had in common was that the blessings in each story were dependent on how much faith they had, how many times that the king was willing to strike the ground, how many jugs the widow was able to gather and how many jugs she had. I have a question. How many jugs do you think the woman would have begged and borrowed for if she knew that every jug was going to be filled? How many times do you think the king would have struck the ground if he knew his battles were dependent on it? With that, I ask you another question which is how many people would you invite to church if you knew that every seed that you planted in the ground was going to be reaped? How many people would you pray for if you knew that every one of them would be healed? What jobs would you apply for that pay a lot more that you seem unqualified for if you knew that God was going to give you that job? You guys, I say all of that to say this, don't hold back on your faith. Don't skimp out on God because every action of faith has an equal and opposite reaction. And if you hold back, God will hold back also. But if you sow faith without holding back, God will respond without holding back because God responds. That's the kind of God that we have. He is attracted to your faith and to the level of your faith. I'm just about done. I just want to remind you that if you are in God, God has good plans for you. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. He has good things for you. I always say that he, like my biggest and wildest dreams, God has even bigger dreams for me. The best I could come up with is nothing compared to what God has. But I want you to, to remind you that you are going to win and to keep the faith and not just the feeling of faith, but the action of faith. I want you to keep making faith moves with me because God is going to bring you through this. And don't let your faith waver. Let's move together boldly as if we've already won the battle. And even if it takes a year or two or 44, like in the case of the Golden State Killer, um, the proof is always going to win the trial. Thank you guys for listening to that short message. Um, I hope it has blessed your life. Get into your Bible this week, you guys. Once again, we're going to be reading John chapter 12 next week, but get into a book of the Bible. I'm studying the books of Kings um, in my own personal time. So study something in your own personal time. Also the book of John. It's worth it. Getting into the word of God is worth it. Read the word of God with a hungry heart. And I will see you next week. Love y'all. Bye.